We've come with open hearts. Let those ancient words impart. Those words that have come miraculously down to us. Can you imagine Peter, if you would turn to the first chapter, used by the Spirit of God to pen two letters that we get to read, letters for His people that will help us walk this journey of life. Uh, What a blessing to hold those in our hand. And it is with great joy that we study together. And I want to look at just the first phrase of this letter. And today I would like to give you kind of a, a background and a theme for the entire letter and share with you four thoughts that I trust will be an encouragement to you. Have any of you ever suffered for doing what is right or living in a godly way? Have any of you suffered because of it? Have any of you been reviled or threatened because you're a believer and you've done what's right? Have any of you ever worked for an employer who had disdain for you because you were a believer? Have any of you ever been in a marriage where your spouse was unbelieving and had no sympathy for you in your faith and persecuted you because of it? Have you experienced any of that? Have you ever experienced um, suffering from the state? Hmm. We look at what's happened the past number of months, and we begin to wonder, what's going to happen in the future? Now, we already know what the Lord said is going to happen in the future with reference to His people. There is going to be great tribulation for the people of God. Great tribulation, like nothing we've ever seen before. That's different than the wrath of God. The wrath of God will never be poured out on His people. But the people of God, down through the ages, have suffered incredible persecution. Matter of fact, Peter is going to write about the suffering of the people of God. People that had spouses that were unbelievers that persecuted them. Employers that persecuted them. Former friends that they no longer partied with persecuting them. And even the beginning of persecution from Rome. We gave a background last week of just the man, Peter, and discovered that he was going to write, most probably during the reign of Nero, 
Tradition says that Paul and Peter lost their life under the persecution from Nero and that he was crucified upside down after watching his wife be killed in front of his eyes. And that persecution from Nero not only affected those in Rome, but it began to light fires of persecution for the people of God around the empire. And these believers that Peter is writing to were located in what is now modern Turkey. And they were suffering. And so as we begin the study of this book, God is going to help us how to navigate the seas of suffering that might be coming into this country. Some of these radical groups that have overtaken the protesting and begun to start fires and break windows and loot and throw bottles and rocks and bricks at law enforcement. These thugs and radicals have also, also stated they're, they're despised for church. Greater persecution could come in this country. So how are we going to live? How are we going to navigate when the fire gets turned up? Are we going to stand firm in this grace that God has called us to? Or are we going to wilt? Are we going to fade? Are we going to remain silent out of fear? Or will we stand for the gospel of God and the cause of Christ? For this cause I'll live for this cause. I'll die. Is that your heart? Do you have that type of strength? Well, I want you to note that in the fifth chapter of 1 Peter and verse 12, Paul tells us that it's through Silvanus, our faithful brother, for so I regard him, I've written to you briefly, exhorting and testifying that this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. This letter is full of the grace of God. And Peter's writing to these believers and stating, I want you to stand firm in it. What is going to get you through the period of suffering in your life is the ability to discover the grace of God, acknowledge what it's all about, plant your feet in it, and stand firm as wave after wave after wave of persecution comes against you and trial and suffering, you're going to stand firm like a pillar in the middle of the sea. That's why he wrote. And I want you to discover that with me. By the way, this letter is full of Scripture. 
in First and Second Peter, he is going to be quoting the Old Testament over and over and over again. There are allusions to the Hebrew Scriptures. Peter knew his Bible. He knew the grace of God is found in the Word of God. But not only did Peter know the Hebrew Scriptures, as you read this letter, letter, you discover that he knew Paul's letters. He was a reader of Paul. There are so many similarities, exact phrases and ideas and concepts in Peter's writing and some of Paul's epistles. Matter of fact, in 2 Peter, he acknowledges that some of Paul's letters are a little heavy. But not only that, you discover that there are allusions and references to James's letter. Some of the same ideas. James is concerned in the opening chapter of his book with the trials that have come upon believers, just like Peter. He knows the apostolic Scripture, and there is allusion after allusion to the teaching of Christ. Some of the exact words of Christ are found right here in his letter. He was a student, an apostle of Jesus. He's full of the Word of God. No wonder he says, like a newborn babe, to desire the sincere miracle of what? The Word. So you can grow. My friend, the only thing that's going to sustain you in this age is the Bible. The Word of God needs to be an anchor to your soul. Like none other time, we need to be reading our Bibles. Getting the mind of God in this age. That's the passion of Peter, full of the Bible. Predominant in this letter, and I I don't know if any of you took the time this week to read it. I want to continue to encourage you in the weeks ahead. Just read, read 1 Peter every day of the week. Read it every day of the week until you get sick and tired of reading Peter every day of the week. And then pick another book and read that book several days over and over and over again. And as you do that, you're going to start to see the letter of Peter fall apart in your laps. You're going to discover that there's a tremendous emphasis in in Peter's letter to love, faith, and hope. Doesn't Paul say now abides love, faith, and hope? Didn't Paul write about that too? And the greatest of these is what? Love, and so there's going to be a real push for Peter to love God and then love your neighbor. It's what the book is all about. So may I suggest to you that this little letter that was circulating to first century Christians that were scattered over what is now northern Turkey was most probably delivered by Silvanus Silas. He's the one carrying it so that all the churches would get it. I wonder how many times before that letter went to the next church that there would be a copying of that letter so that they could hold on to it and read it again and again and again and again. It was sent from Rome. He identifies Rome here in his letter as Babylon. Kind of a code word for Rome. Uh, That's how it was referred to. John makes reference to this in Revelation the end of his book, I think chapters 18 and 19. Sent from Rome, Babylon. 
people have suggested he designated it as Babylon because he didn't want those in Rome to know he was in Rome because of the persecution that began to heat up. And as you read this letter, you discover that these churches in northern Turkey were made up of Jewish and Gentile people that were suffering. So I want to submit to you that a theme, kind of a theme sentence that can, can like a bird's eye view looking down on the book, help you get your hands around it. And that theme sentence would be, following the example of Christ, stand firm in the will of God as you properly suffer while awaiting eternal glory to come. Four thoughts in that theme. The example of Christ, the need to be obedient to God doing His will, learning how to suffer properly, but remembering that there is eternal glory to come. Do you know how you're going to get by today and tomorrow? Do you know how you're going to get by the suffering and the trials that are going to hit you this week and the week after? Do you know how you're going to get by them? You're going to have to look a little further into the future. You're going to have to look at the glory to come. Fifteen times in this little letter, Paul is, or Peter is going to reference suffering. He's going to use eight different Greek words to do so. Some of these believers were suffering because they were living godly lives and doing what was good and right. And they were suffering for it. Some of them were suffering reproach for the name of Christ, the very fact they were called Christians and had identified with Jesus. Some of them were being railed at by unbelieving people. They were considered contemptible. Oh, you're those people that think those ways. And they were proselyters. They were going throughout the Roman Empire telling people that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father unless they come through Christ. And they were proselytizing. And Rome looked down on that with disgust. Early believers were not politically correct. Early believers were biblically correct. Because of that, they were being persecuted. And yet, they were precious in the sight of God. I mentioned earlier in the service that they were chosen, just like you. We're going to discover in this letter they were called, just like you. But a number of times, the grace of God was brought to the forefront in this letter. In chapter 1, verses 2 and 10 and 13. In chapter 2, verses 19 and 20. In chapter 3, verse 7. In chapter 4, verse 10. In chapter 5, verses 5 and 10 and 12. He's talking to us about 
God has shown us grace. God has chosen us. God has called us. God has shown us grace. In chapter 2 and verse 3, he says, God has shown us kindness. He tells us in chapter 2 and verse 10 that God has shown us mercy. That's who we are. And he wants us to stand firm in all of that. Stand firm in this grace. The grace that saved you. The grace that sustains you. The grace that has a future for you. Stand firm in that as you suffer. But the first thought is in the midst of your suffering. Stand firm in God's grace. For God has called you to suffer. Did you know that? I'm just going to share with you, under that point, all the other points, just phrases from 1 Peter that establish the fact that you and I are going to suffer. Chapter 1 and verse 6. Even though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been distressed by various trials. Polka dot trials. Ever feel distressed by your trials? In chapter 2, in verse 19, he's going to say that we have a need to bear up under sorrows when you are suffering unjustly. You ever suffered unjustly? How about chapter 2 and verse 20? When you do right and suffer for it, you patiently endure it. This finds favor with God. Do right, even if it involves suffering. I believe with all of my heart that the Word of God teaches that abortion is murder. It is wrong. It is sin. It is unjust. But that voice in this age will bring backlash And in this age, they will want to cancel culture, Bill Jones, and his voice. Because he stands for the right to life. All black lives matter to me. Even those in the womb matter to me. That is not politically correct. Will there be suffering for doing what is right and standing for what is right? And the answer to that question is yes. It is coming. How about chapter 3 and verse 14? When you suffer for the sake of righteousness. Chapter 3 and verse 17. When you suffer for doing what is right. Chapter 4 and verse 12, there is going to be a fiery ordeal among you which comes upon you for your testing. Why does God allow suffering? Why does He allow the pressure and the heat? He does it to refine us. He does it so that the dross in our life will rise to the surface and it can be skimmed off. And our faith will be purified. Our belief in God, our trust in God will be strengthened. That's why he's allowed the testing. 
But through it all, chapter 4 and verse 13, he says, you share the sufferings of Christ. Chapter 4 and verse 14, you're reviled for the name of Christ, yet you're blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. Chapter 4 and verse 16, you suffer as a Christian. Chapter 4 and verse 19, you suffer according to the will of God. It is the will of God that you suffer. Did you know that? Chapter 5 and verse 9, knowing that the same experiences of suffering are being accomplished by your brethren in the world. Chapter 5 and verse 10, after you've suffered for a little while. So the first thought, my friends, is that you and I are going to suffer. We will not get a pass. So how are we going to navigate? He tells us the second thought in this book and focuses on it heavily, and that is in the midst of your suffering, follow the example of Christ, who is the gift of God's grace. Did Christ suffer? Chapter 2 and verse 21, since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example for you to follow in his steps. We're going to get through suffering because we realize that Christ suffered for us. And we're going to follow his example. What did the suffering look like? In chapter 1 and verse 2, We have been sprinkled with his blood. His suffering involved the shedding of his blood, the giving of his life. In chapter 1 and verse 3, he says, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, his suffering involved death for us. Chapter 1 and verse 11, the Spirit predicted the sufferings of Christ and the what? The glories to follow. You look at the life of Christ, it was a life of suffering, but there was glory to follow. Chapter 1 and verse 19, we've been redeemed with precious blood as of a lamb, unblenished and spotless in the sight of God. It's the blood of Christ. That's a focus on his suffering, a focus on his death. In chapter 1 and verse 20, he said it was for the sake of you. He suffered for you. And yet in verse 21 of that same chapter, the Bible says God raised him from the dead and gave him glory. Glory followed the suffering of Christ. Chapter 2 and verse 4, he was rejected by man. Have you ever been rejected because you were a believer? He was rejected by men, but choice and precious in the sight of God. I began today by telling you that you are precious in the sight of God, the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit. You're precious. Chapter 2 and verse 7, he was the stone which the builders rejected. He was the stone of stumbling, the rock of offense. Chapter 2 and verse 21, since Christ also suffered for you. Verse 23, while being reviled, he was reviled. And while suffering, chapter 2 and verse 24, he himself bore our sins on his body on the cross. That was great suffering. Chapter 2 and verse 24, through his what? His stripes we are healed. Chapter 3 and verse 18, for Christ also died for sins once for all, the just for the unjust, so that he might bring us to God. 
He was just, and yet He died for the unjust. What suffering is that? Chapter 3 and verse 18, He was put to death in the flesh. Chapter 4 and verse 1, Since Christ has suffered in the flesh, He who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. Chapter 4 and verse 13, you share the sufferings of Christ. Chapter 5 and verse 1, the sufferings of Christ. And so this letter states, you and I are going to suffer. And then this letter turns to the suffering of Christ and says, look at His example. That's what's going to get you through the sea of suffering. But then there's a third thought. In the midst of this life, with all of its suffering and the backdrop of Christ's suffering, He's going to invite us in this letter that we are to grow in obedience to the Lord. That's what He wants from our lives. Matter of fact, I want you to look at chapter 1 and verse 2. And we'll look at it in greater detail as we get into the text itself. He tells us that we are chosen, verse 2, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father by the sanctifying work of the Spirit to do what? What's the next phrase, if any of you have it? To obey Jesus Christ and be sprinkled with His blood. Why did He redeem us? Why did the Father elect us and call us? Why did Christ come and shed His blood to take unrighteous people, give them a righteous standing, and change their hearts so now they'll start to obey? God is calling us to obedience. God is calling us to do His will. We were chosen, chapter 1 and verse 2, to obey Jesus Christ. In chapter 1 and verse 14, he says, As obedient children, do not be conformed to the former lust which were yours in your ignorance. God is calling us from those past life lusts into a new life of obedience. And he's saying to us in chapter 1 and verse 15 that we're to be holy like the one who called you is holy. He's going to tell us in chapter 1 and verse 17 that we're to conduct ourselves in fear during the time of our stay on earth. Chapter 1 and verse 22, he says, since you have an obedience to the truth, purified your souls. He's going to tell us in chapter 2 and verse 2, grow in respect to your salvation. Chapter 2 and verse 5, offer up spiritual sacrifices that are acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. He's going to tell us in verse 9 that we're to proclaim the excellencies of Him who has called you. He's going to tell us in verse 11 to abstain from the fleshly lusts that do what? They war against your soul. You see, God is calling us in the midst of our suffering to do His will and live righteously and obediently so that we can declare the glory of God. You know what the United States needs right now? It's a clarion voice that comes from believers who have stood firm in the grace of God and starting to thunder the excellencies of our Creator and calling the nation back to God and back to righteousness and back to holiness. 
But that is not what they want. That is not the call of those who want to turn the tide in this country and bring this country to a place where God is no more, where secularism reigns and the Word of God is pushed out of the way and other voices of unrighteousness want to take the stage. It's coming. And the push for lawlessness has just begun. Do you realize that the Antichrist in the Bible is called the man of sin, the man of what? Lawlessness. There is no mistake that there is an attack on the law and on those who would be enforcers of the law in this country. Because the spirit of Antichrist is among us. And in the midst of that, God is asking his believers to proclaim his excellency. Chapter 2 and verse 11, to abstain from fleshly lust. To realize in chapter 2 and verse 15 that we're to do the will of God. In verse 16, that we are bond slaves of God. Chapter 2 and verse 24, that we might die to our sinning and live to righteousness. So that chapter 3 and verse 16, they'll see our good behavior in Christ. And he's going to call us in chapter 4 to live the rest of our time in this flesh. However long it is, whether it's a minute or an hour or a day or a week or a month or it's years or decades to come, He is begging us to live in this flesh right now no longer for the lusts of men but for the will of God. He says, you spent all the time already in your life. He says, you've done enough, enough of that lust living It should be in your past. But what's in your future in the midst of this is doing the will of God and speaking of the excellencies of your Creator. That is the voice that this age needs to hear. Clarion call of the gospel of God. So yes, you're going to suffer. And it's going to be very, there's going to be a variety because you're identified with Christ and righteousness. But in the midst of that, realize that Christ suffered. He did it that he might bring you to God. And then in the midst of all of this, give your life to doing the will of God and let go of the lust of the past. And then there's a final thought that you'll find over and over and over you, you, you could have found all four of these emphasis just like I did, just by reading the letter over and over and over and over and over and over again. And grouping these verses, he says so much about suffering. He says so much about the suffering of Christ. He says so much about doing the will of God and what, what does it look like in my relationship with my government, in my relationship with my employer, in my relationship with my neighbor, in the relationship in my family, in the relationship in the church. This is what the will of God looks like. This is what the grace of God wants to do in my life. But then there's a fourth thing that appears multiple times 
a thought that you have to hang on to, which brings me great hope, and that is this. In the midst of your suffering, look to the grace that's going to be brought you at the return of Christ. In chapter 1 and verse 3, he calls this hope a living hope. Chapter 1 and verse 4, he says that the people of God have an inheritance that's reserved in heaven. Do you know that? Do you understand that, believer? That's yours. Navigate COVID with everything that is coming and has come and will come. Navigate through it all, knowing that we know the last chapter. COVID's not the last chapter. We're going to get an inheritance. It's already reserved for us. It is ours. Greater than any inheritance I could get from a father or a mother or a grandmother or a grandfather or a brother or a sister. It's eternal. It's unfading. It's there for me. Kind of makes your little trials like you're going through right now seem so little, right? Talks in chapter 1 and verse 5 of this salvation that's ready to be revealed in the last time. He talks about in verse 7 that we might be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. In verse 9, he calls it the salvation of our souls. He says in verse 10, the grace that will come to you. Listen, I've experienced the grace of God. God saved me by grace. God is sustaining me by grace. But God has a future for me because of his grace. God has an eternity for Bill Jones because of his grace. It's going to come to me. And verse 13 of chapter 1 says, I'm to fix my hope completely on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. There's only one leader who's going to sort it all out, and it's Jesus. It won't be a new ruler in the world. It won't be an antichrist. It won't be a new president in this country. It won't be a new president in some other country that's going to satisfy all the needs of humanity and sort it all out. It's going to continue to be a mess till Jesus comes. But when he comes, he's going to straighten it all out. And this is what you're to fix your mind on. And this is what you're supposed to fix your hope on. It's the return of Jesus the Christ. Chapter 3 and verse 9, he says, you were called for the very purpose, get this, that you might inherit a blessing. You were called to inherit a blessing. Oh, he's coming, chapter 4 and verse 13, it's going to be the revelation of his glory. Chapter 5 and verse 1, the glory that's to be revealed. Chapter 5 and verse 4, when the chief shepherd appears, you'll receive the unfading crown of glory. And chapter 5 and verse 6, just like Jesus suffered and God exalted him, it says in chapter 5 and verse 6 that he may exalt you at the proper time. Do you know that that's coming for the believer? 
You can live humbly right now in a suffering obedience for the glory of God because someday God's going to exalt you. But none of those verses can compare to this last one. For chapter 5 and verse 10 says that our God has called us to His eternal glory in Christ. You know where we're headed? To a glorified state. We are going to experience forever the rainbow display of all of His attributes. His eternal glory is where we're headed. Father, the glory that I had with you before the world ever was. Father, I'm giving it to my people. Will they please share in that glory, Lord? And the answer of God is yes. That's the end game. That's where we're headed That's what's ours at the return of Christ. So don't look around at the age around you with all of the confusion and let your heart sink. And don't waffle in the midst of suffering. Stand firm in this grace because Christ suffered and had glory, you'll suffer, but you'll have glory too. Fix your mind on that. And God help us in the weeks ahead to know how to live practically in the midst of our suffering for His glory. Our future in Christ is not in jeopardy. So let's proclaim the excellencies of God as we await the glory to come. Let's pray.